Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about treating equine lameness with biologics, and the event is sponsored by Zoetis. Regenerative medicine is giving us new options for managing joint, joint disease and other injuries in horses. But as owners, I know we have a lot of questions. To answer those questions, we're joined tonight by Dr. Bill King, who's a consultant for Zoetis. Dr. King has 15 years of experience in regenerative medicine in human and animal health. Also on our panel is Dr. Weston Warnock, a board-certified surgeon with Brazos Valley Equine Hospital in Texas. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having me this evening. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm going to start with Dr. King. Uh, you're a bioengineer with experience in product development in humans as well as horses. Can you tell us how your work evolved into the veterinary space? Sure. That's a great first question to start with. Um, I was working for a human orthopedic company called Biomet, and we were developing uh, regenerative medicine devices for human medicine. And we were looking at ways to show that they were safe and worked well before trying in the first human patients. And we thought one of the best ways that could be done was potentially with animals who had naturally occurring diseases of naturally occurring versions of human diseases like uh, arthritis in horses. And so we started testing some of the devices we were working on in horses and dogs with osteoarthritis or lameness. And the results of those studies were so uh, so good. They were, you know, they were safe and they worked really well at improving the horses and dog pain and improving their function. That we started a division at Biomet uh, that was focused on animal health, which was eventually spun out to be focused just exclusively on animal health at Owl Manor, where we continue to do both laboratory and clinical research with uh, these regenerative medicine devices. And then uh, we had a good success there. And then really the Zoetis came in and partnered with Almanor to really take things to the next level. And they're continuing uh, on with that, that great research to help us better understand how and when to use regenerative medicine in horses. And Dr. Warnock, you're a surgeon. Uh, can you tell us about your experience and interest in, in the sports medicine side and in using biologic to treat your patients? Sure, absolutely. Um, just being an equine surgeon, a lot of um, a lot of the surgery that I do is of an orthopedic nature. Um, just with a lot of a lot of horses having um, a job and being performance horses, that they lend themselves to a variety of different injuries. Um, even non-performance horses, with uh, just being horses, um, like to develop orthopedic musculoskeletal injuries, and so. Um, I, I chiefly use orthobiologics in um, in uh, purely sports medicine sense um, as an adjunct or replacement for the traditional hyaluronic corticosteroid regimen of, of intraarticular joint therapies. But it's also um, with the availability, widespread availability, and patient side availability of a lot of the biologic systems that are available. Um, it's become a lot more um, widespread in terms of its use, and we've seen some tremendous gains um, in healing of both soft tissue and articular injuries. And then it, from a post-operative sense as well, um, after arthroscopy, we've gone by far and away to using biologics more so um, just even after traditional arthroscopy. I want to give our audience a quick review of our Ask the, Ask the Horse Live format. We're going to be starting with questions that everyone submitted during registration. If you have questions that you'd like to ask live or would like a clarification on one of the doctor's responses, you can enter your question in the chat window in front of you. We're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible. Uh, if you're listening to our archive or podcast and are interested in joining us live during our events to get your questions answered, register to receive our announcements at thehorse.com or visit us at thehorse.com slash askthehorselive. And so with that, we're going to jump into the questions. Uh, the first one is for Dr. Warnock. Um, we hear terms tossed around a lot like regenerative medicine, biologics, stem cells. Do these all mean the same thing uh, or is there a correct term that we sh should all be using? 
that's that's an excellent question and and um it's it's one that's um sometimes very difficult to answer um but they those terms do get thrown around and um and used as blanket terms regenerative medicine generally as most of us use it refers to a field of of essentially the use of biologics um to treat disease and so um a re- use of of uh, a medical outlook to try to regenerate tissue in the most grammatical sense of the word. Um, biologics are are really tissue derived, uh, tissue or blood derived products, um, which are encompass stem cells, but are different than stem cells. Um, stem cells, a lot of the products uh, that we use, the regenerative products or biologics that we use get mislabeled as, as true stem cells. Um, stem cells are cells that are, that have, are impressionable. Um, and so from a clinical standpoint, the only way that we really get to the point of use of stem cells is if you culture expand tissue in a laboratory sense to grow a pure culture of stem cells. Um, and so a lot of the patient side systems that are labeled and are referred to as stem cell therapies are actually not. So they're, they're actually very different things um, and, and, and very confusing. Okay. So for our conversation tonight is biologics the, a word that we can use to encompass everything. I feel like we need a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, what, absolutely. Which is which. <laughs> you do. You you do need a Venn diagram. Yeah. So so yeah, orthobiologics, biologics, or regenerative agents. I think is very appropriate to talk about everything that we'd refer to tonight. Okay. Great. Dr. King, our next question is for you. You have 15 plus years uh, doing research in this space. How long have biologics been available in general and how long have we been using them in horses? So the, the orthobiologics that uh, that we're familiar with today, like uh, Dr. Warnock just mentioned uh, stem cells or um, there are devices that make process horses blood to make like play with plasma or we'll talk about some of these questions I'm sure as they come along. They've been around in equine medicine now for uh, 15 or 20 years with uh, increasing use and frequency. There's been some recent publications about how often different um, equine veterinarians are choosing them and seeing different use. And uh, with that has come uh, an evolving understanding of, of how they work. And um, and I think that over time we're, we're developing uh, better, more targeted systems to develop, to deliver the right healing uh, factors to horses at the right time. Um, and then Dr. Warnock, my next question is just to help our audience understand what the process is for having a biologic treatment for their horse. So if, if I brought my horse to you and she's she's having some issues and, and we want to do her hawks with, with a biologic, what can I expect as the horse owner during that process? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So um in terms of the visit, um what what you can expect is is the majority of those um you know, just to use as an example the pro stride, um we would draw blood. Um, and process using sterile technique and process that um, blood sample in-house um, to the um, to develop the the prostride sample and then inject it intraarticularly. So really, the process, aside from the processing step and the blood harvest step, is no different than a typical joint injection. The administration of the regenerative therapy is is identical to what you would normally expect with your um, with your typical corticosteroid or HA and corticosteroid joint injections. Um, after the fact, I think you can expect a, an appreciable, a very similar result um, in terms of time frame after an injection. Um, the, the only thing that I typically recommend is a little longer period of rest after an intraarticular injection using a regenerative agent 
Um, it, it seems that some horses need a little longer. This is just my experience. That some horses need a little longer to respond to see a clinical benefit, even though that clinical benefit may be longer lasting. Um, and so it's it's not the typical 12 to 14 day turnaround and with a corticosteroid in, injection. Um, but in terms of the process of what you'll see in the hospital standing by the horse is, is almost identical to your traditional joint injection. And Dr. Warnock, you, so you mentioned rest time. So are we talking about stall rest or just rest from work? Yeah, just, just rest from work. Everybody's a little, is very individual in terms of their post-injection recommendation um, for intra, for your routine intraarticular injections for management of arthritis. Um, and so um, my typical recommendation is, is install for 24 hours um, as long as there's no contraindication to turning the horse out, like a soft tissue component or any other major concern that we have. This is all very relative to the individual patient, um, but then rest for a week um, and then a slow reintroduction to exercise. Uh, I know that some of my colleagues are a lot more conservative in return to work, but um, as a typical just blanket statement, I, I think you can expect a response, um, at least from that particular system that we're referring to within 14 to 21 days. So, and, and usually by two weeks, we have the horse back in work. Um, my next question is for Dr. King, and my um, my uh, console is telling me that he's actually not online. Dr. King, are you still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, good, good. I'm glad you're there. My my computer is wrong because it's telling me you've disappeared. Um, our next question is for you, and uh, that's. Uh, from Barbara in Vermont, and she wants to know how do biologic work biologics work in the horse's system? So the kind of uh, biologics that are uh, very commonly used today are like the blood processing devices that Dr. Warnock referred to, where they'll take a small volume of your horse's blood and they'll process it in uh, different devices that isolate different healing factors from your horse's own blood. And those for, in the context of osteoarthritis or joint arthritis, are injected into the horse's joint space, so in the, the fluid-filled sac around the, the joint. And what, those, what that does is it introduces uh, different combinations of different healing factors depending on the device to try to uh, lessen the inflammation in the joint as well as to promote healing of damaged cartilage tissue or to um, try to sort of tighten up some of the uh, the inflamed uh, lining of the joint if the, if the joint is sort of swollen a little bit to try to bring uh, the healing processes uh, in place. And what really that does is it kickstarts the healing process and the horse's body can then take over and sort of finish the healing process from there. So it's uh, jump-starting a healing process uh, that allows for long-term improvements in joint pain. Like uh, Dr. Warnock just said, with like a ProStride specifically, you know, we see improvements that happen over the course of weeks and then uh, to the maximum improvement, and then they have a long-improved uh, function over the course of nine to 12 months is, is very typical with ProStride. So it takes a little longer to develop because we're kickstarting the healing process, but then we have longer periods of time typically where a horse does quite well. So the, you know, we're really doing more than just treating a symptom. We're changing the biology of the joint with these biologics. And Dr. King, so you mentioned 12 months. So I, and, Dr. Warnock, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when when I've done uh, steroid joint injections on my horses, I have expected them to last maybe six months, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. So are we doing these injections less frequently than we are the steroid injections? Absolutely, I, I would I would think so. Uh, clinically, we use them. Um, the horses that I've had made the switch, if you will. Um, from 
routine injections with corticosteroids to a regenerative type inject injection, especially uh, Prostride is just the most common one that I reach for. Um, and it is, we, I find that we are injecting those horses much more frequent, much less frequently. Um, and so I, my experience has been absolutely, you can expect a prolonged effect, um, with a little bit of wiggle room for individual case variation and severity of the disease. And Dr. Warnock, we have a question from Vicki in Oklahoma, and she wanted to know if stem cells or biologics are being used in equine joints. And, and we've already alluded to that. We've been talking about joint injections. But she also wanted to know if they are being used in horses' spines for kissing spines, for example. Um, to my knowledge, and not, not for kissing spines specifically, um, there I, there are some people that are using um, intrathecal stem cells for um, like the cervical stenotic myelopathy. It's, there's, to my knowledge, there's one one safety study that is out, um, but no efficacy on that at all. So um, there are some horses that have a contraindication to the use of steroids. Um, like a systemic PPID or cushions, if you will, or metabolic syndrome that puts them at a higher laminitis risk for the use of systemic corticosteroids. Um, and in some of those horses, we have seen um, or we have used either uh, a regenerative agent, platelet-rich plasma or prostride for the medical management of kissing spine. Um, and but it's it's much less frequent. But yes, you can, and some people very very frequently do um, employ those for that that disease process as well. And Dr. King, is there any research in other species looking at the spine? And uh, I would mirror Dr. Warnock's experience, but in um, I would say that that for these kind of biologics, that there's use for um, um, the um, for um, facet injections in humans, and uh, there's been quite a bit published on the use of platelet-rich plasma for facet injections in humans with uh, promising clinical results. And also, that's something I've heard increasingly done by equine veterinarians as well. But uh, certainly, that's um, an emerging application for orthobiologics in horses, I would say. Dr. Dr. Warnock, do you have any experience doing that or is that something that you've just heard of at meetings? Or, or, yeah. Yes, sir. No, I, I, I do have some experience and I think the the, uh, the, the phrase you use is, is really, really good, an emerging application because that, that's really what it is, I think, clinically. Um, we we started at least in our practice as well. We started trying to explore other pathologies that are associated with kissing spine because um, we see it so frequently in the Western performance horse. And so the lumbar and thoracic facet, <coughs> excuse me, the lumbar and thoracic facet joints, um, and we see arthritis in those joints as well. Albeit it's very difficult to diagnose in horses um, without a, a without a bone scan or nuclear scintigraphy, but um, and we are we do use a lot of PRP for intraarticular use because we're injecting so many joints most of the time, um, and so it is just safer. Um, and then you have the prolonged um, clinical effect and benefit from the regenerative agent versus an IA corticosteroid, intraarticular corticosteroid. So um, yes, I think it's even in our practice it's kind of an emerging application, but we have treated. A handful of horses with intraarticular PRP in the lumbar facets, and I, personally, I've been, even though it's a very low number, I've been very happy with the results. I think that question came from Vicky in Oklahoma, but that's a question um, during registration we received a lot of. It was about kissing spines, and I, I think that those of us who've managed horses or had horses with that, it's just like you're just holding out hope that there, there's something that, that can help mm -hmm. your horses. Um, so looking forward to more on that. Um, our next question is for Dr. King and, and bringing up PRP is, is a nice segue into it. Um, so Patricia in Maryland wants to know if you can explain the difference between ProStride 
APS injections, IRAP, PRP, ACS, and I'm going to add MSCs to that list. So there's all these acronyms, and this is I I, I work in this every day as an editor at the Horse, and I'm I still get confused and have to use my cheat sheets for these. Um, so Dr. King, can you go through those uh, different acronyms and explain what they are, but briefly? Sure, sure. Uh, briefly, uh, <laughs> MSCs. Well, Stands stands for uh, mes mesenchymal stem cells or mesenchymal stromal cells, and for horses that typically are there'll be a bone marrow draw from your horse, and that bone marrow is sent off to a facility or a university where they'll isolate the stem cells from the bone marrow or occasionally fat, and they'll grow them up in a dish and then they'll send them back to a veterinarian for application. So it's a purified cell type, stem cell type. That's sort of an um, impressionable cell that Dr. Warnock referred to. The other products you referred to all come from your horse's own blood, and then they're put into different devices, stall side or barn side, and processed. And uh, I'll do probably the first one that was used in equine medicine was uh, the platelet-rich plasma devices. And in those devices, they take your horse's blood and they put them in a device in a centrifuge and they capture a high concentration of platelets from the blood. And they want to capture platelets because platelets contain a lot of proteins called growth factors. And growth factors are really important proteins in tissue repair. And so, you know, if, when, for example, when injected in a joint, they could help drive cartilage repair. The, the, tissues at the, at the ends of your horse's bones. The, then came a product called IRAP or ACS. The, those devices are they're effectively the same devices. There's several of them available. And in that, you take a horse's blood without anticoagulant in it. So they put them in this uh, tube that contains glass beads. And the glass bead causes your horse's blood to clot. And they put that in an incubator for uh, overnight, and that clot produces a number of factors into the serum that's also in there, uh, and that contains anti-inflammatory proteins in it. And so um, the veterinarian will take the device out of the incubator after a day, and they'll pull the serum off that contains what the cells in the clot released, including those anti-inflammatories. And they'll do an injection and they'll freeze down some of the IRAP or autologous condition serum or ACS for a later injection. So that modality usually takes an overnight incubation step and number of injections to produce anti-inflammatories. And the most recent iteration of these uh, blood processing devices is the ProStride APS device. And APS stands for autologous protein solution. And what the ProStride APS device does is it combines those growth factors from PRP and the anti-inflammatories from ACS, but without that overnight incubation step, it does it all in 20 minutes, stall side, barn side, no trailing required, and it produces them at a higher concentration. And what that higher concentration allows for is it to be done typically as a single injection rather than a series of injections. So ProStride APS combines both anti-inflammatories and growth factors to uh, to enable tissue healing and improved osteoarthritis symptoms. Um, I'm not so, so sure I, that was short, but I tried. <laughs> no, but it but no, it it definitely helps. Um, I think clarify some things. Uh, for for the audience and and for the horse owners, um, I our next question. So we've been talking about uh, joints. Our next question, Dr. King, is from Sarah in Ontario, Canada, and she wants to know if biologics can be used to treat soft tissue like suspensory injuries. Well, the short answer to that is yes, that it can. Um, and I'd be interested, Dr. Warnock, uh, so, um, clinical experience in a minute, but. There's been a decade plus of uh, positive clinical results 
for using platelet-rich plasma or PRP in soft tissue injuries in horses, including uh, several uh, positive clinical studies with the uh, Restigen PRP device from Zoetis, which is a high platelet concentration device, and uh, another orthobiologic that has emerging use in soft tissues is the ProStride device that I just referred to. We recently conducted a randomized controlled study at the University of Pennsylvania's veterinary school with Dr. Kyla Orved, and there we were able to show that there was a faster tissue healing with ProStride-injected uh, tendons, and they had a more natural tissue healing type compared to saline control. And so we were able to, to see multiple levels of improvement with ProStride as well. So um, there's been uh, a decade plus of good clinical experience with PRP, both from published studies and in clinicians' hands, and emerging use with ProStride as well. But Dr. Warnock, I'd be curious to hear your clinical experience. Yes, sir, Dr. King. That's that is uh, what I just kind of echo exactly what you mentioned. Um, I we use biologics every day to treat soft tissue injuries, and um, I've gone to using ProStride very frequently to treat proximal suspensory injuries. Um, it is I, I most of just from a clinical standpoint, and ease of use, uh, most PRP systems have such a high volume we don't end up needing that much um, for most most injuries um, and I think the concentrated low volume ProStride device um, has has been very useful um, clinically just because it's it's such a concentrated dose of um, of growth factors and any inflammatory cytokines as well as a platelet fraction and so um, Clinically, we see huge benefits uh, with the use of, of orthobiologics and in all soft tissue injuries, um, intraarticular and extraarticular soft tissue injuries, but especially the proximal suspensory region, which is just very frustrating clinically, uh, especially in the Western performance horse. So, Dr. Warnock, our next question is from Stephanie in California, and she wants to know how we know which is the best option for our horses, steroids versus biologics? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the, the, I don't know that there is an easy answer for that um, that encompasses all horses. Um, I think it is, is very much based on, um, on your individual case from a medical standpoint, um, from the problem that you're treating. Um, if in, in talking about if steroids are in the conversation, most of the time we're referring to management of osteoarthritis or synovitis, kind of the precursor to osteoarthritis, um, or just routine joint pain um, in performance horses. Um, I think that there is a, a large shift um, in the early detection um, of joint pain and then the use of biologics as disease-modifying um, medications as opposed to just anti-inflammatories and pain relievers um, is, is probably the biggest reason why I reach for biologics um, in the management of joint disease is to try to avoid the development of osteoarthritis, if that is possible, um, or at least slow the progression. Um, I, I think cost is also a, a reality um, to every horse owner and uh, being practical as well. If everything was the same price or free, I, I think it would be a no-brainer, but um, things do add up and, and horses are, um, tend to, to come with a large bill most of the time. And so um, I, I do think that being practical is also um, wise and steroids are definitely have their place in, in the practice of sports medicine, um, they still are, are the most potent anti-inflammatory that we have. And so they're, they definitely have their role um, and, and their use. But uh, I, I think it's, it's a very difficult question to answer, but, um, but I think there are a lot of exciting possibilities as biologics get more widely available and widely used. 
So Dr. Warnock, earlier in our conversation, you briefly mentioned horses with PPID or metabolic issues and that, that there can be a laminitis risk uh, with uh, the corticosteroid injections. Can you touch on that a little bit, what, what that is, uh, why that's a risk to these horses and why the biologics might be a better uh, choice for that performance horse? I'm thinking the you know, 13, 14-year-old round hunter that needs a little bit of joint support um, but might be at risk for laminitis absolutely and and so that risk is is um to to kind of clarify that as well um the risk of steroid use um in joint injections for horses with endocrine disease is is a very controversial subject um, it is definitely not a direct cause and effect, and the, the the evidence is probably not there that steroids cause laminitis. It, it's something that is, if you get a room full of veterinarians and would like to start an argument, that's a good topic to bring up. Um, but I, I, I do think clinically um, we try to avoid steroid use, at least in high doses and certain corticosteroids in horses that have um, PPID or metabolic problems because they are just more, the, the presence, their increased risk to laminitis, um, makes all of us very nervous with the use of corticosteroids, um, especially trimsilone. Um, and so the biologics, orthobiologics don't have that risk. It's, it's a null point, um, regardless of it being, a point of contention on whether there is a cause and effect with laminitis and the administration of corticosteroids, um, it's, it's safer, at least from my standpoint. And so um, that is the middle-aged hunter um, or the jumping pony who is um, kind of laminitis waiting to happen with a crusty neck and fat bones on either side of the tail head is it, those are all warning signs to me and and a lot of my clients have have gone to just empirically using biologics if the horse needs management of joint disease and instead of running the risk of is it safe should we I mean, encourage in, in endocrine testing anyway for the management of the disease um, and dietary management uh, because that laminitis can definitely happen without the presence of corticosteroids but um, I do think it's, it is a, another avenue for the use of biologics that's been very, um, very beneficial to, to some of my patients that uh, we don't have to run that risk anymore. Well, and so since I jumped down the laminitis rabbit hole, I'm going to ask Dr. King, has there been any investigation or is there a place for biologics in helping manage laminitis cases? Um, once they occur? You know, I've seen uh, publications on that um, with different uh, attempts of using um, different uh, stem cell treatments, but, um, you know, I don't think that there is a, a gold standard way to address laminitis with a stem cell or a biologic treatment yet. Would, would you agree with that, Dr. Warnock? I, I think yeah. that those are all yes, still um yeah uh, uh, areas of, of of intense investigation and worthwhile investigation but i don't think that there there's like a definite one yet would you agree i i would agree wholeheartedly yeah i, I think the answer still eludes us um, I just want to mention, Linda, in our live audience, I see your question, and I'm going to get to it here in, in just a bit. Um, but I, I, I have my our next question, I think, will, will lead us in the direction of, of your question. Uh, Dr. King, Becky in Texas wants to know if biologics can be used as a preventive rather than as a treatment. Um, there, you know, there are... Veterinarians who have used um, who have used different biologics as sort of a maintenance, so they'll do a series of injections over time. Uh, so, for example, if their their horse is going to be their patient is going to be um, has a big uh, series of events coming up, other things, they'll certainly go and, and do that. 
um, and they've told me that they've had good uh, clinical results doing so. But I don't think that's an area where there's a definite research paper that I can point to as well for that uh, either. And so, um, and so I've definitely heard it done. I've had veterinarians report good results to me, but there's not a, a clinical research paper I could point uh, Becky to either. So uh, it's one of those areas where um, I think it's worthwhile of investigation. Uh, it was an interesting study, but there's not um, like a definite study to point to on that either. Uh, Dr. Warnock, we have a question from Christy in Florida who wants to know if this only works in younger horses, 15 or under. Uh, if not, what types of injuries or aging issues can it help support? Um, I, I would say it's definitely not limited to the use in younger horses. Um, I, I think, you know, older horses with acute soft tissue injuries, chronic soft tissue injuries, those all fall in the, in the, under the same umbrella, um, management of arthritis. I, I think those are probably the two broad categories, at, at least in, in clinical practice that we use it, uh, in which we use these, these devices is the acute or chronic soft tissue injury or joint injury or in the management of chronic arthritis, um, which uh, by default is off, very, very often involves older horses. Um, and, and I clinically, I have not seen a difference with the use of, of orthobiologics in, in terms of efficacy in the younger horse crowd versus in the, in the mature horse or even a geriatric horse population. I have some jumpers that are, uh, that are in their early 20s and still get their first ride injections and do great. Uh, and so I definitely would not put an, um, an age, age cap on, on the use of, of these devices. So Dr. Warnock, if you have a horse that's been maintained for a while on corticosteroids and HA injections, um, and they start not working as well as they used to. Is that horse a candidate for ProStride or should have this been started earlier on um, at that point? Oh no, absolutely. I think a lot of it depends on the the, patho the pathology, right? Um, there are some, it's, it's a, I think that's also a very difficult question to answer, but if there is not a direct contraindication, meaning that uh, if the arthritis is not progress to the point where nothing would help it, um, which in, in humans, joint replacements, right, arthroplasties, but um, in horses, we're not there quite yet. And so um, I think as, as long as there's that, not that obvious contraindication, using a horse that's been maintained on routine hawk injections for forever, um, and it's starting to not work or you're not seeing them, the clinical benefit that you did before, I definitely think that that horse is a candidate for an orthobiologic. Um, I can't promise that it's going to help, but I do think that there are some horses that um, that do see that benefit. Um, it just all depends on the progression of the arthritis and um, or or joint disease for that matter. Um, for, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Arthritis, it could be an intraarticular soft tissue injury, but it all depends on the initial pathology. I think the longer the horse has been treated, typically the worse the pathology, and so the lower your expectations should be on the other end of treatment, if that makes sense. And so I think that will lead us nicely into Linda's question, uh, who's in our live audience. She has a bear who is unable to get up once she's down. She wants to know if biologics could help a horse that's at that stage uh, where they're, they're having a hard time getting up when they're, they're after lying down to rest. That's, that's, that's tough. I, I think um, we use, there are a lot of things that we use to kind of quote unquote stage joint disease in horses and um you know the radiographic appearance of those joints is is what we use really to guide the severity 
Um, and so orthobiologics are great and they have a very um, emerging role in the treatment of sports medicine in horses um, and joint disease in horses, but uh, they're definitely not going to reverse arthritic changes that are already present. And so um, that is that that may be beyond the scope, you know, of, of what the orthobiologics can be. But uh, they may be a, an adjunct, a benefit potentially, but um, once cartilage is gone uh, past a certain diameter, it's been shown not to regenerate. And so without some um, aggressive intervention. And so I think keeping that in mind that, that there is no silver bullet really for um, established advanced osteoarthritis. Dr. King, I, our next I question. Just want, oh. Could yes, I just add something here in context from human medicine? Yes. The, there was a recently published study where they tracked um, like 11,000 human patients. Now, I want to say at the get-go here, a horse is not a human, right? But there, there are things we can learn by looking at, at across species. And they followed 11,000 people who had either recently been diagnosed with early osteoarthritis or were at risk of developing osteoarthritis. And they just observed what they were treated with and what happened to them over the course of like nine or 10 years. And in those human patients, they were able to follow, I think, like 7,000 of them in the end. For every corticosteroid injection that a human being got, they were 9% more likely to receive a knee replacement over that period of time. And, you know, we've, we've long known that if you put corticosteroids with cartilage in a dish, it's not great for the cartilage in a dish. But there's, you know, emerging evidence from human medicine that 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 translates to what clinical outcomes are. And so um, I think I think it mirrors what Dr. Warnock just said, where if there's the horse is maintained for a very long period of time with a long series of corticosteroids, that ultimately results in, uh, you know, um, disease progression to, to damage cartilage. And we're seeing that now in, in large human studies. And so I, I think it, it motivates the need for using these sort of all-natural biological approaches, using your host, horse to own blood to help heal itself. Um, heal is probably, a, you know, maybe a little bit of a strong word here, but to, to help uh, improve its lameness. So, D Dr. King, I think that um, goes leads nicely to our next question, which was is from Emily in North Carolina, and she wants to know if you've used regenerative medicine on your horse, and then you switch to corticosteroids, uh, maybe for because of your budget or you know access, can you then switch back to regenerative medicine or biologics for your horse? Is that a good uh, idea? Certainly, um, that that's been done. How many times there's been white papers published on that where um, where people have gone uh, back and forth between treatments. I think that you know, a lot of it comes down to um, to where the, that horse is at and what it needs at, at a period of time. Like Dr. Warnock said, you know, every horse is different. It's um, its injuries, its health are different. What it's doing is different. And because of that, we've seen all different kind of combinations of having uh, corticosteroid and then switching to an orthobiologic or back and forth, many different combinations of those things. Um, our next question is for Dr. Warnock, and I'll preface this by saying that our live audience is really interested in uses in navicular. And so our next question is from Linda in Nevada, and she asked if navicular can be successfully treated with biologics, and if so, which biologics in particular? Dr. Warnock, we chatted about that a little bit earlier. What what are your experiences in the clinic managing navicular horses with with biologics? Yeah, so that that's a great question. I, I think the the first. The first thing in talking about the specifics of managing horses with, with navicular degeneration is, is trying to elucidate what specific pathology each individual horse is suffering from. 
Um, so navicular disease used to be a catch-all term, you know, before the advent, uh, the advent of advanced imaging in horses. And so now with the advent of, of CT and MRI, we've been able to, um, we as a profession have been able to really illustrate specific injuries associated with the horse's foot um, that block to a palmar digital nerve block, which um, is is kind of the diagnostic criteria for quote-unquote caudal heel pain. Um, in horses with navicular problems in the most traditional sense, so the horses with an inflamed navicular bursa or um, degenerative changes to the navicular bone without the presence of soft tissue injury in the deep digital flexor tendon or the distal impar ligament, um, absolutely. I think um, I have personally had success um, treating horses with PRP um, <coughs> excuse me, or prostride um, in the navicular bursa in, in addition to corrective shooting um, and angle changes. In, in those horses and, and had long, long lasting, uh, benefit equivalent or superior to your traditional HA and steroid injection into the navicular bursa. Um, even in the presence of diagnosed deep digital flexor tendon injury that's intraversally located that we opt not to treat surgically, um, with navicular bursoscopy. Um, whether it's for a practicality standpoint or financial reasons, um, also used the platelet-rich plasma or prostride intraversely, um, along with some aggressive heel wedge and rest and, and seen benefit in those horses as well. Um, that's not looking at 10,000 horses, you know, in a, in a statistical setting, um, from, but just anecdotally, it definitely seen benefit. There are problems, though, um, within the navicular bone itself, like the bone edema-like syndrome that happens um, that's, that we see on MRI. Um, you know, that obviously will not be helped by an intraversal injection. So it really, no, no matter what you put in there, um, so it really d depends on what specific pathology those horses have um, and because it's it's a lot more complicated than um than the catch-all term used to be and so i think for the right case selection they can really have a, a very beneficial role biologics can have a very beneficial role in the management of those horses um i have a question from our live audience uh, and i think dr warnock this one will be for you lynn wants to know if there's a difference in joint infection risk between traditional joint injections and orthobiologic injections that is a good question um, that I don't know that I have the answer to, to be honest with you. I, I am not aware of any data, um, of any published studies comparing uh, post-injection infection between an orthobiologic and, um, and a corticosteroid. Um, they both have immune local, if I'm not, and Dr. King, maybe you comment on this as well. Um, I, to my knowledge, they both have a local immunosuppressive effect within the joint or synovial structure that you inject them into. Um, the injection risk with what's what's been published is very low um, with with intraarticular injection, and there are some um, specific risk factors and different risk factors depending on what study that you read. Um, looking at risk factors for post-injection infection, septic arthritis. Um, and so, but to my knowledge, clinically, I have not seen a difference between the use of corticosteroid, um, post-corticosteroid infections versus post-orthobiologic infections. Uh, um, there's the joint flare concern that we all have. Um, I think that concern is higher, um, rightfully or not. Uh, with the use of orthobiologics versus steroids, um, but definitely see, and that's to kind of explain a flare. That's a that's a non-septic synovitis, so a non-infectious joint inflammation after injection generally shows up in the first 24 to 48 hours post-injection. 
Um, I, I have just anecdotally seen that more commonly with orthobiologic use um, versus corticosteroid use, but uh, it is very infrequent and tends to be very mild um, and very self-limiting. So it generally goes away with some systemic anti-inflammatories um, and cold hosing of the limb. Um, and by the next day, they're usually better. Uh, very rarely have I had to lavage a joint um, or do anything that is even resemblant of treat, treatment of the septic joint for anything like that. Um, Dr. King, we have a question from our live audience. Heather is curious if APS would ever be given more than once. Does it depend on osteoarthritis severity? So is this a, a one and done, or would you be doing it more often? There have been horses and dogs that have been maintained over the course of years with injections of just prostrate APS. So, you know, there'll be an injection where, and then the horse will have improved symptoms over the course of months. You know, the sort of that, you can't guarantee it every single time, but that nine to 12 months of, of improved symptoms is very common. And then they'll get another one after that nine to 12 months. And then they've been maintained on that for years with good clinical results. I've spoken to many veterinarians where that their standard of care for arthritis in horses now. So, so yes. Uh, we have a question from Emily in our live audience. Dr. Warnock, this is for you. She has a horse whose hocks are fusing. She's wondering if it would be worth using APS in this case. Uh, so that is, it all depends on the, the amount of joint collapse. Um, and so I think if you have enough joint space left if the collapse is not widespread um it might be helpful in the management of the pain but it, if there is any significant joint collapse in the distal hot joints um i don't i don't think that it's going to it's definitely not going to reverse it um and usually um, that's when we start to consider um, surgical procedures or, or medical for that matter, but uh, procedures to encourage fusing of the lower hog joints. Um, and the majority of horses, they, there is a high percentage of those horses that will go back to athleticism um, once those joints fuse, although a lot of times we have to go to surgical links to get that done. Our next question is for Dr. King. It's from Judy in New York. She wants to know, how long do you give a patient who has had this treatment to show signs of recovery? Is there any chance the treatment won't work? So typically, I think the clinical experience that uh, Dr. Warnock said earlier has been true for uh, veterinarians all over the world where after uh, injection of prostrate APS, There'll be clinical improvement that develops over the course of a couple of weeks to a month, where they'll see that maximum improvement uh, two or three weeks, two, three, four weeks out. Now that there is an improvement over the first couple of days, but the maximum uh, really develops over the course of a couple of weeks, and then it's maintained for uh, months to come. And just like any other medical procedure, um, you know, there's the outcomes from a, a prostrate APS injection depends on a lot of things, including the horse's condition and what it's doing and how it's rehabbed and all those things. So all that factors into uh, how well the treatment might work. We have a question from Candace in our live audience, Dr. Warnock, it's for you. Uh, she wonders whether biologics can help horses with ring bone. So can you describe to us what ring bone is and then if biologics can be used to help that condition? Sure, sure. Um, so ring bone is a, is a, a layman's term for osteoarthritis to be either the pastern joint or the coffin joint. Um, so what, what, uh, colloquially has been what commonly has been referred to as low ring bone as distal interphalangeal joint or coffin joint arthritis. High ring bone has traditionally been referred to um, 
it refers to pastern arthritis or proximal interphalangeal joint osteoarthritis. And so that kind of goes back to um, the stage of the arthritic process that the joint is in. In very early cases of wing bone, um, absolutely, I think orthobiologics have a role in the management of those horses and potentially, um, in some cases, if it's early enough, disease modifying effects that you may not get to the advanced, the advanced stages of disease that, that really coin that name. That name comes from, it looks like a ring, literally a ring of bone around the lower limb and a swelling, firm swelling at or above the cornet band, depending on whether you're talking about the coffin joint or the passer joint. And so the, the layman's term really refers to end-stage arthritis. And so, um, I, again, I, I don't know that there's going to be a dramatic reversal of end-stage arthritis, but definitely in the earlier cases, um, I, I think it would be a, a very, very um, advantageous thing for the horse. And we only have about two minutes uh, before we wrap up, but uh, we do have some people in the live audience who would like to know the general price range of these treatments versus corticosteroids. Dr. Warnock, do you have your price list uh, memorized? <laughs> uh, what, uh, what differences uh, are, are the horse owners going to have? Sure. Um, I, I can tell you what um, what ballpark figures we have. I, I don't know if, if this uh, translates to everybody. Uh, really what we, so the, for ProStride, um, it is not that much more expensive. Um, I, I think it really depends on the dose that you use per joint, um, which uh, from my own personal experience, I you generally gauge the dose based on the severity of the arthritis that's present. Um, with that said, um, you know, in most hyaluronic acid, like for for a set of hawks, just to make it easy uh, for figuring, for um, to inject a set of hawks with distal tar the distal intertarsal and tarsal metatarsal joints, just the lower hawk joints as you would any routine um, hawk injection or hawk osteoarthritis case, um, using a steroid and hyaluronic acid, you'll probably spend in the neighborhood of 500 between 450 and 550 dollars um, for those injections, depending on how much hyaluronic acid you use um, and what type of hyaluronic acid you use. Uh, with that said, for ProStride, um, generally that's about 650 in our practice. So um, a couple hundred dollars difference. Um, yeah. Which, if it saves you an injection through the year, you've already paid for it. So. Yeah, in in the grand scheme. Uh, not not that big yeah. of, of, of a difference. Um, we have run out of time, but before we close, I wanted to ask each of you what you hope the audience's takeaway is from our conversation tonight, because I think we've covered a lot of ground. I know it's been really informative for me as a horse owner that came, I recently had an aging performance horse, a dressage horse who who I've lost and who I was managing his joints and it was you know, heartbreaking at times. Uh, now I have a young horse and it's it's hopeful to me to see a future where we can support her in a way that might be a, a bit more progressive. Um, so that's my takeaway. Um, I'm hoping each of you can share your takeaway, what you hope the audience will take away. Dr. Warnock, do you wanna start with you? Sure, I, I think um, I would take away that being it uh, osteoarthritis and sports medicine injuries in horses are, are very diverse um, and each case is individual and so I think um, having a good relationship with your veterinarian um, to come to a consensus together on the, the best treatment for the horse is is ideal because um, there's no one treatment that fits all horses in all scenarios um, in all walks of life for sure and so I think having that that um, horse owner veterinarian team is crucial to coming to the right decision um, for your horse and your situation. And so, um, and then staying open-minded about the the role of orthobiologics um, in in the management of joint disease going forward. Okay. And Dr. King, I would say that there's emerging evidence that's really developed over time 
that long-term use of corticosteroids uh, might not be the best for the long-term health of your horse's joints, and that you know considering orthobiologics you know, earlier in the treatment pathway might be better for the long-term care of your horse. So you guys can can continue to do the things you love to do together for a long time. Well, we are out of time. We've gone a little bit over. So thank you for your patience because um, I, I just wanted to get that in. I want to thank both of you, Dr. King and Dr. Warnock. For me personally, I know I'm I'm walking away from this conversation having a better understanding of these products and, and what they offer our horses. So thank you, uh, Dr. King and Dr. Warnock for joining us. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. I also want to thank our sponsors, Oetis, and to our live audience, thank you for your questions during this past hour. We hope that you join us next time. We're going to be talking about nutrition. Until then, from all of us at The Horse, thank you for listening. <laughs>